Welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Alexandra Artemanovskaya, co-founder of Electric Artifacts and head of marketing at Frag Color. We will discuss her work on curating digital art and NFTs. So welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to have you on, and I'm really looking forward to learning more about the work that you do in the digital art and NFT space. For listeners who might not already be familiar with your work, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to this space. Uh, sure. So my journey started, um, if you notice my surname, it's a bit of a nominative determinism since early age. Um, I have been passionate about art, but I actually started with working in consulting. It was focused on leadership development and art has always been a hobby uh, for me. It wasn't until probably my early 20s when I started um, dealing art and working with artists from Ukraine. And that's when the journey really started when I entered a master's at Sotheby's Institute of Art seven years ago for an arts business program they were offering. I felt for me, it was a way to understand the dynamics of the art world. Looking back, you can really refer to it as the traditional art world because in those seven years, uh, so many different things have changed and technology has really disrupted the way the art market functions. And moving forward from the master's degree, I tried working um, across many different industries and businesses. So I worked at a gallery. I did a traineeship at an auction house. I worked for an art fair and tried to look at the industry from many different angles. But it wasn't until I joined the top level domain .art, which is essentially a software company providing domain names for the art world, that I felt I belong. Um, I liked the idea of the dynamic relationship between technology and art, and I saw how many different things can be um, improved in the space, really, because the art market has always been extremely opaque. And the same way you have for books, um, Amazon or iTunes uh, for music, you didn't have anything similar for the art world, especially digital art. And I was very lucky that our company, Dot Art, has been a pioneer at pushing forward many different in- initiatives um, and facilitating the growth of digital arts in the space. We were one of the supporters of the 7 on 7 conference between artists and technologists uh, from New Museum, uh, organized by Rhizome annually. We were one of the first backers of uh, Kadaf. A digital art fair and a long-standing partner of Ars Electronica Festival in Linz. And through these different initiatives, um, being the head of partnerships and working diligently on all our digital initiatives, I had a chance to completely dive into this wonderful space over the last six years. Maybe you could talk a little bit about 
more specifically about some of the kind of range of experiences you had in the more traditional art world, maybe some of the more important things you think you learned from those experiences. And then one thing I'm especially interested in is how has that art world's reception of digital art changed over the period of time that you've been involved? Working in the traditional art world, a big focus, similarly, actually, as we see right now, is on the relationships. The difference is all those relationships and the dynamics between the buyers and sellers are pretty straightforward and transparent when we look at crypto arts and NFTs and the blockchain art market. But back then, whoever holds the relationships with the collectors is essentially the, the holder of the value. And unfortunately, it was a systematic difficulty in the art world for any progress because there was no incentive for organizations to shift towards a more transparent um, marketplace. There were different platforms that started um, introducing online sales. So you would have Artsnet, you would have Artsy tapping into the space. Uh, Sotheby's and Christie started releasing online databases from about 2006 that dealers were able to at least have some kind of guidance, um, similarly as buyers, on the price of an artist. But still, the opaque nature of the art market was always something that I felt I did not support. And so um, working at Dot Arts and shifting over to work for a blockchain-based company felt like the right thing to do at the time. So in what ways, in your experience, did shifting art from the more traditional art world model of selling objects through galleries on the primary market and people selling through auction houses and other places on the on the secondary market change when our, the art market shifted or the art market you were working in shifted in part to the blockchain? Like, how did that change how the market worked? Essentially, right now, I would say the ecosystem that blockchain offers is an additional layer. Like, galleries still work the way they work, but for that, they are definitely tapping into the space. The difference, the, the biggest difference is that the artists have a direct sort of communication line with the buyers. So if you think about the opportunities that NFTs unlock is this idea of trust and the lack uh, of necessity to have a brand telling you whether something is authentic or not. So this sort of relationship between the buyers and sellers is now documented and transparent. And I find a lot of artists that sort of we worked with in the traditional scheme of things now finding much more opportunity in this new ecosystem. How has the role of art galleries as intermediaries changed, if at all, in, in this marketplace? And likewise, sort of like, how is sort of who can sell art in these marketplaces changed and, and how they go about selling it? From what I see in the conversations I have with certain art dealers, they're typically in the traditional art world. I'm not sure if this is still the case, to be honest. I'm sure that the space has changed. But there is this narrative of 
an artist signs uh, to be represented by a gallery early on in their career. The gallery takes traditionally 50% from primary sales, and they have a special arrangement for secondary sales. And you would see the gallery acting almost like an agent for the artist. And to be honest, for many artists, it's extremely important, especially if the artist is not very well versed at marketing themselves. So we see a tectonic shift of that relationship and dynamic when you look at the NFT space where the artist becomes the agent. Nevertheless, there are still um, galleries that represent artists. Some of them basically take a collection that they represent as opposed to a whole, like the whole body of work. So I see often um, artists that were before represented by gallery now beginning to launch more and more projects by themselves independently, but they still have uh, a series or a collection that they work together with a gallery to promote. And then the gallery would take commission specifically on that series. Has the sort of community of artists who can participate in that market changed as the blockchain and digital art has become more important? Or, you know, is it, has the market opened up to people who wouldn't previously have been able to participate in it? I think definitely the market and NFTs in general attracted not only new artists or people who traditionally wouldn't have the confidence to sell their art, but also a whole new pool of buyers. But I'll start with the artists. So many artists that I would interview for some of my editorial pieces would tell me that they were always discouraged to go to a gallery or, you know, they were discouraged by not being accepted to an art school. And this new medium and the whole ethos of crypto is supporting expression at any different level. And it's even more supportive, not only of the visual aspects, but more of the narrative and the person, the personality behind the artwork. And this is incredible. Like we see 50%, I think it was a statistic from about half a year ago. I don't know how it is now, but um, 50% of the buyers were other artists. So we see an incredibly supportive community rise. And then, of course, we have a whole new pool of buyers who might have been intimidated also by the traditional gallery structure and um, schematics behind gallery operations um, to buy art. And now for them, it's very straightforward. You go, you see the price, you like it, you buy. But beyond that, the narrative that we see happening on crypto Twitter, where people are able to right away share their art with thousands of other collectors and talk about it and discuss it. This is unprecedented. And it's such an interesting motivation for newcomers to join the space and to join the conversation. So I think for a lot of people who aren't participating in the digital art, crypto art world, it's hard to understand the appeal of buying digital art and buying NFTs in digital art. What is it about this new market that appeals to this new set of buyers? In other words, what's different about it that they like that they either didn't see in the previous market or that is important to them about you know, buying and owning and sharing artwork in this space, at least as far as you can tell? If I look back 
I would say we launched a year and a half ago and we talked to collectors and we published a lot of materials about what makes digital art special. And it's not something new. It's something that existed from, you know, early 50s um, where the pioneers were able to experiment with the medium. And I would say the biggest things that stand out, at least for myself, is the freedom of expression and the possibility of pushing boundaries of what traditional mediums offer. Many artists find that freedom of artistic expression incredibly appealing. And the idea of working together with a machine to produce something new, it's incredibly reflective of, the, of our time. And that's how arts traditionally evolved over centuries. It was reflective of what the society is. But coming back to the appeal for the new buyers, I think we can talk about a desert and then there being roads on that desert and water. And similarly here, digital arts never had um, a proper form in which it would be transacted or discovered. There was no standardization. And that was scary. And I understand people who earned money and feared for some of their assets being lost um, by purchasing art. I mean, there's, there were still many collectors who support artists um, just because they like art and just because, you know, they, they want to support an artist's career. But having that security that blockchain offered of knowing that the artwork, A, came directly from the artist, B, you see the artist working hard to continuously produce work, not just doing it as a one-off. That, I think, is a very attractive part of it, but also the narrative that surrounds it. And we can't deny the fact that we spent the last couple of years indoors and the virtual medium was the only way to connect with other people. So I think that we can't ignore the social component of connecting with others on the basis of sharing similar interests. In my experience, historically, a lot of people in the art market and the art world more generally didn't really know how to transact in or buy or collect digital art. It was sort of confusing for people. What about the NFT market do you think has has changed that? And how important do you think it is for people buying into that market to see a sort of robust set of transactions and secondary sales for the market, uh, in the market for the works in question? If you look at digital arts markets, um, and when I say that, I'm talking about digital arts, the sales of works used uh, dig using digital technology, we can look at different sort of pioneering sales. So some auction houses, I remember seeing, I think it was Sotheby's had um, Corey Archangel's piece, which was a game playing itself and a projector showing um, showing how that game is playing itself. It was a bowling game, a very retro bowling game. Uh, that was quite innovative at the time. Raphael Rosendahl, who's quite, actually quite successful selling NFTs now, was one of the first to sell a website uh, as a work of art. So you would see this experimentation, but it was all, there wasn't a clear standard. It was, well, it was being sold as traditional art. And I think what we have here is we have this idea that A, you have a wallet. So 
everyone who wants to participate in this economy shares you know the similar wallets and the a similar standards on which that nft is being transacted we have different blockchains so we also allow others to be more selective about what kind of platform they want to support whether they want to buy additioned works or one-on-one works more curated works go for an eco-friendly platform but regardless of all of that there is a similar system uh, of how artwork is being discovered and transacted and that did not exist before so looking at the nft market in some ways it seems like there's a whole bunch of different markets kind of intersecting in different ways do you think that's the right way to look at it or do you think those different markets are more integrated than than people realize i think definitely there's the biggest integration between all of them is that they they are you know they're using blockchain uh so blockchain facilitates all of them. So there's definitely already a standard. We're already one step ahead of where we were. I think we're just a little bit early in terms of the technology. And many companies are working on being chain agnostic in their offering, which means that it wouldn't matter as much which chain you um, transact on because the assets would be interoperable across different platforms. And I think this is the ideal future uh, where we want to go. We started a company called Electric Artifacts. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that company, what it does, and what you saw as the market niche that you wanted to fill. Electric Artifacts started first as... Actually, I never told this to anyone publicly yet. Um, Electric Artifacts actually started as an art project. We wanted to create a virtual vending machine where the whole interface of the website was a vending machine. We even had a design ready um, and the mouse would be a hand and you click on the art and it would fall at the bottom as a it was a it was a conceptual project. And that started in December 2019. So two years ago, I would say. And we worked for half a year on this idea, but then I had, as soon as I would talk about this idea with other people, they got really excited and they're like, why are you doing this? You know, this is really exciting, but where's the why? And I said that right now, digital arts doesn't have a place on the internet where it is treated like high art. And we wanted to give that museum sort of walls to digital arts in the online space. And so as a side um, hobby, I would say, I started developing ideas about what a studio, a curatorial studio online platform could look like. And then COVID happened and that accelerated my plans and brought us some early investors who wanted to support the cause. And we developed a website which was at the time, far more advanced than all the other galleries had for showcasing art. And so we started hosting online exhibitions of digital artists. But at first, um, we didn't have the capacity to integrate any blockchain technology. So we sold works as prints or as video files that artists would send directly. And it was difficult. And I wouldn't say that um, 
there was definitely demand and we definitely educated a lot of people about digital arts, but it was very difficult to sell and to keep ourselves at least to pay off our costs. And when we had, I would say about nine months ago, our first NFT show where we partnered um, with the first sort of Tezos based platform called Hicket Nunk, which recently unfortunately closed um, our show with the artist Mike Taika sold out in the first day. And we really saw that this is, um, this, this definitely gives a level of trust if people are willing to, you know, purchase work immediately. And that's where we decided that our direction right now would be working with artists, helping them onboard into the space and work on different projects surrounding crypto arts, digital arts, and helping different players navigate in the ecosystem. So that's, this is really fascinating to me because I feel like a lot of people outside the NFT space look at NFTs and say, who cares? What is this? It's nothing. It can't possibly matter. And yet you're telling me that you are trying to sell people more conventional works in a more conventional format. It wasn't working. And then NFTs made it work. What gives? Like, what what made the difference? As far as you can tell, like, why did that matter so much to people? I believe there are two different reasons why it worked. First is the audience. So the audience we were targeting were the traditional collectors. And for them, this was very new. And you had a very big journey of education. When we released the works and communicated about it on Twitter and, you know, used the existing engaged community of the platform, it resonated with the people. It was, it was really easy. It was seamless, so to say. And I think the second thing is also, I think we can't ignore the elements of novelty. So for many people, NFTs and especially the ones that are priced lower than the prices you see in the galleries, like, you know, especially on Tezos, like you can buy art for $10, for $20. You don't have to go through this intimidating process of talking to the gallerist. Like it's, it, it just, it makes sense. Um, and for people to experiment with technology, to learn, it's much easier to do that than set up a trading account and start trading crypto. Like it's, it's, um, NFTs, they definitely drove adoption, I think, um, and onboard the people to Web3 much more than probably any other use case of blockchain to date. So you're, in your experience, sort of working with artists, working with collectors as a kind of intermediary, when people collecting art buy NFTs, why are they buying them? What are kind of the motivating factors as far as you can tell? Is it that they want to own in some special way the work that they're buying? Is it they want to support the artists that they like? Is it that they're looking to make an investment? Some combination of all those things or something else that I'm missing? We have to first agree if we're talking about arts or collectibles. If we look at the sales for the last quarter, um, and I'm talking about like this summer, especially summer of 2021, especially August, majority of the sales were of collectibles and we can all agree that that was a to flip 
to make money on on a quick sale and B to sort of show off like that you have an expensive profile picture. Uh, so 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 unfortunately, these were the main motivations. I think um, we can't ignore being part of the community was a big part of it. I myself have profile picture projects just because I find it incredibly entertaining connecting with these people. So, so it, it's it, it's sort of like fun narrative that you join in on. But when you when we talk about art, again, we can't deny that many people are there to make money. So they would buy out, you know, early on an artist and then trade. Um, it's just the nature of those platforms. They allow um, for people who are experienced in trading to easily track analytics of a certain asset, see the the price curve. So it, it, it's almost like the platform is inviting them to do that because the way it's built. So, you know, we, we can't complain. Um, at the same time, I speak to a lot of collectors and I myself started collecting. I found the idea of owning something from an artist you admire absolutely fascinating. There were so many artists in my head I saw as celebrities and then I can buy one out of a hundred edition of them and say I own a piece by this artist. Like that was the biggest selling point. I speak to a lot of people and they also, even if they know nothing about the art world, because of the diversity of arts we see on the platforms, people start learning about art because they're identifying things that just speak to them or reverse People find artists that they enjoy following and to support them, they start buying art. So I like the fact that there are many different entry points that the space opens up for us. So through Electric Artifacts, what are some of the artists and art approaches that you think are especially exciting or that you're especially interested in as this new space develops? Like, where do you see a lot of potential? Define potential. (laughs) Um, There's um, basically there are opportunities across many different things. There are opportunities to um, monetize what we do. There are opportunities to make a difference. Um, and there are opportunities to onboard more people in this space. What we have focused in the last half a year was mostly targeted at artists. So we received a grant from the Ukrainian Cultural Foundation and the British Council to launch a residency for artists, both in Ukraine and UK, to work together and develop a digital arts project that would explore the relationship between the two countries. And that was probably the most exciting projects I worked on in the last half a year, where we were able to have sessions with artists twice a week for a duration of two months and invite speakers in the space and to really help them on boards um, and create interesting things that target certain challenges in the space. So I think this was one of the most sort of, one of the biggest achievements We also worked on charity projects. We partnered with Excise Studios to launch a generative collection and raise money for PETA, uh, for animal uh, rights groups. So that was one of bigger achievements. To me personally, I'm using um, my spare time to really make a difference and show people different paths of what can be achieved using this new technology. 
I think as a next step, something that we are exploring right now is also to establish a wing where we would focus on um, raising profiles of women artists in the space and empowering their voices. The biggest issue is these things that you do are not exactly profitable. So you often rely on funding um, or people's or supporters, but people who are the biggest investors in the space or the biggest buyers, typically um, it's easier for them to spend a lot of money on a Ponzi drop than on initiatives that makes a difference. So some of our challenges is how do we communicate that this is important and find like-minded people that want to support our cause? So one feature of the NFT market that seems really different from the conventional art market to me is that it seems to make connections to industries that wouldn't necessarily occur to you in connection with the conventional art world. And I know that you have made some of those connections yourself. I, I wonder if you could talk about that and why you think that's happened and whether you think it's important. So I think the biggest, the most interesting shift we see is artists working with developers in the traditional art market. You don't see that at all. <laughs> Barely. Uh, I would say it's the two industries that often are um, in juxtaposition, right? They, you have a sort of full transparency, full innovation technology, and then you have people focusing mostly on like on their arts and um, mastering the skill. But at the same time, both of the industries, they tackle this idea of where is the society going? So essentially they're answering the same questions, just using um, different means. Through that, and especially in the last half a year, I also sort of transitioned from working uh, in the domain name space towards um, shifting into gaming. So I chose to work with Frag Color essentially because the whole business model is centered around empowering artists and same way as NFTs challenged the idea of gallery being the intermediary and um, artists being able to monetize in their creation. Similarly in gaming, you have game studios who are absorbing most of the profits and there are no royalties for artists if a game is successful. So joining Frag Color, who are building a distributed game engine that allows um, continuous royalties and for any creator to create um, something that can be part of any game. And similarly, curators can curate games. It just made total sense for me. It, it followed what I stood for. And I love the fact that while many people talk about NFTs as something for art, there are so many different use cases. And we see professionals from law, uh, from healthcare, uh, insurance coming into the space and often this influx of different industries brings solutions that might not directly answer their own problems, but maybe another industry problems. So it's almost like an arc, Noah's arc, where we're all together helping each other drive the industry forward. I mean, one thing I've noticed too is that this new influx of buyers, collectors has sort of shifted the aesthetics of kind of what counts 
and what you can sell on the art market as well. Am I right to think that? That's a really good question. It's a really good point. I think you could argue it follows the similar principle of influencer, successful influencer profiles on Instagram. Whoever knows how to make the square prettier gets more followers because you um, are trying to like make a glorious lifestyle when it's not really glorious, but people like to follow that rather than certain other kind of images. I think it's both yes and no. So on one hand, we can't deny that people still appreciate art, especially in the NFT space based on the artist's personality. So there isn't like a hundred percent reliance on visual, but when it comes to um, the visual aesthetics, there has been a gravitation towards certain uh, kinds of things. And I think the biggest sort of problem was how do we solve curation? Because simply, you know, having a voting system or a like system is not going to cut it. Like this, this problem trans, I think it sort of translates also and comes from the traditional art market as well. It's much harder to sell conceptual art uh, where you have to educate buyers uh, more than whether something is just visually appealing Similarly, if you see, you know, an image gets like 10,000 likes on Twitter, it gets more eyeballs than something that has a bigger backstory. I always, whenever I talk to artists, I encourage them to stick to what they're doing. Because if you follow a trend, the trend is going to pass and always something new is going to come. Like no one was paying attention to artificial intelligence arts a couple of years ago. Like there was a Sotheby's sale where Mario Klingman sold um, one of his pieces. There was a marketing campaign for Obvious Collective when uh, they, they, sold, they sold their piece. But apart from those sales, like we don't really remember two years ago as the year for AI. Now, all of a sudden... People love generative art, clip, they love Gans. Um, but this too, you know, in half a year, maybe there will be a new movement. So as an artist, if you just follow trends, then you don't have your own style. And I noticed one thing that collectors uh, really appreciate is when an artist has a con consistency in style. Um, and, and so I think this... Um, would be a bigger advantage for any artist. At the same time, you see artists who don't follow the trends or have a consistent style, and that's fine too, because their style is their personality and their, you know, their freedom of expression. Um, you have artists like Robness who adopts personalities. You know, one day he's um, impersonating one of the female influencers in the space. Another time he says he like, was reborn as a version two, you know? And um, I think building that personalized narrative to your persona as an artist is equally valuable uh, for any creator and definitely is more appreciated by collectors than simply sticking to something that's popular during that particular month. So Alex, in closing, I got to ask, you have incredible taste and I want to know who do you think I should be 
looking at and paying attention to? Who do you think listeners should be looking at and paying attention to right now? Like, what are your favorite sort of artist pieces at the moment? Oh, my God. I hope apart from those that I mentioned, no one else is listening. (laughs) I love, I'm obsessed with discovering artists. Like, if you go to my Tezos collection, I have too many pieces. So um, I think if you want to follow me, you're going to follow my taste. So I advise to go uh, to platforms and discover. But what we do at Electric Artifacts is we do a monthly pick of about 10 to 15 artists in the space that our team goes through and finds interesting. And we sort of narrate the story behind the piece. So that's something to look out for. I will do a little bit of shilling because I'm a massive Rare Pepe girl. Um, so <laughs> they're, 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 um, and there's an incredible diversity of artists. So if, if, you know, if you don't know about Rare Pepe's, I suggest reading about it and discovering, um, the history there. I'm a big, um, I also love generative art, um, AI. So we worked with the artist Mike Taika for a very long time. And his portraits of imaginative people were sort of one of the pioneering works that uh, he managed to expand the image uh, to a bigger um, resolution. I also love uh, Manoloid's work. He's an incredible artist who doesn't even have a Twitter account, and yet his works are um, are making it out there uh, and recognized quite well. There are many female artists in the space that we actually had a very nice session a couple months ago where we invited different female creators. So if if you want to check out on Electric Artifacts, we have in our previous events recordings of conversations uh, with these artists. So I would maybe advise to check out that as well. Amazing. Well, Alex, thanks so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, I learned a lot uh, about the art market and about sort of its intersection and the confluence with the new NFT market from you. And, um, and I really look forward to hearing from you more in the future. Thanks a lot for having me. Your life is gay, you're never forlorn. Your pals are real snappy, you gotta be happy, cause Jack, you play the game. Now when the chicks you've got are all so fine, they know you're here, they go for your line. You're never a fool, boy, you gotta keep cool, cause Jack, you play the game. You pose all day up on the avenue. Always got money in your pocket When you broke, you know just what to do You said, baby, take your watch and hawk it Now when you buy your car, this long and new Ten dollars down, two thousand is due When folks call you mister and wonder and whisper Then Jack, you're playing the game Now there's an easy way to learn how to play The game that's Time. You gotta get here, like Joe the deal. Come on, you squares and fall in line. First you get a front with a on 
long and big so fine The chick you get should punch a clock To help you pay the bills And keep you out of heart On Sugar Hill you find the mellow pad The taste is modern and the face is mad The front and the pad and the car and the dame Maneuver that jive and jack you play in the game Yeah. Okay.